Testing, testing again. Hi, Juliet Levy again. Well, I'm going to say again, and this is the last time I said it because you're going to hear a lot more from me, so we don't need to do that. Um, podcast number two. You might have already seen a folder in your um, intro module called Hedda Zilberman ne Segal. No, the other way around. Hedda Segal ne Silberman. Ne means born. Hedda Zilberman was my great-grandmother. And since I think history is not just a sequence of events, but it's about the people that live through these events, um, I thought I could tell you about my great-grandmother who was born on August 10th, 1900. Whether we decided or you decided that the 20th century starts in 1900 or in 1901 or if it starts with World War I, my great-grandmother experienced most of the events that we're going to be talking about over the next 10 weeks. And you should feel free to take this as an example of the type of research you can do for the next 10 weeks. You can look at the world history by looking at events that matter to the world, or you can try to trace it through a person or a family or a collection of people and see that the history of a people, you know, defined it any which way you want, can tell you a lot about the, the history of the time during which you're looking at them. And so my great-grandmother, Hedda, and you spell that H-E-D-D-A, was born on a, on a really warm day in August 1900. Um, she was born in her parents' house uh, on the Victoria Luise Platz in Berlin. That's uh, in Germany. The house apparently is still there. I, I don't have the number of the house, but you can find the, the, that Platz, that, which means square, um, on Google Earth. And you could imagine, as I like to do, that on that day the, the house windows were open because it was so hot. And that Hedda's mother, her name was Jeanette, which is by no means a very German name, bore her first child with the windows open to a warm summer's day. Yes, I'm completely romanticizing it. Because um, it might have been so lovely for her. Like most women at the time in Berlin and pretty much elsewhere, Jeanette delivered her first daughter at home. And she probably didn't do it with a ton of painkillers. Um, she probably did have the help of a nurse or a midwife. But she would have done it at home, uh, you know, which, you know, is the way most children were born. And it's really not until a few decades later that women would deliver in hospitals. And there's sort of a connection between the kind of the medicalization of um, childbirth and the fact that there were more medicines available to, you know, reduce pain or but also reduce the risk of childbirth and so that's how you know once we start thinking of childbirth as something that can be risky to the mother and that there's a, something we can do about that risk that sees more women sort of essentially that that act that most normal of act shifting from the household into the hospital Hedda was born into a fairly well-to-do family her father Alexander Zilberman came from a family of traders and lawyers and doctors and a couple of diplomats who'd all been in Germany for a couple of generations. They were Jewish and they were German. Um, and they were part of a, a cultural and social, social intelligentsia in Berlin. Hedda and her sisters Eva and Thea, who were born two and four years after her, grew up in a, in a sort of in a very cosmopolitan environment. They had they were music tutors and there were sort of parties with musicians coming around. The house had a housekeeper. Um, they were Jewish in Germany at a time when that was not really an exception, or in the sense it was not so, it was not a problem, really. It was not, it was not a marker of anything. I mean, Germany itself was a very recent construct. There had not been a, a, a unified, solidified German Germany before. The empire, or what we, the union of German 
city-states, doesn't exist until 1871. So the notion of a German culture, while it existed in sort of in a literary sense, but certainly not in a political sense, it, it didn't you know, it, it certainly didn't include a specific ethnic or religious context. So Alexander Zilberman's family ended up in Berlin after leaving Breslau, which is currently Poland, um, around the time the German Empire is formed. Jeanette's family, their last names were both Liebenthal and Simon. They migrated from Hanover, which is still Germany, and Königsberg, which is now Kaliningrad on the Baltic Sea in Russia. So just by looking at the names of the cities, and they've changed now. So, you know, Königsberg is Kaliningrad. The fact that they, these cities used to be Germany and are now Poland, are now in Poland or in Russia, that, that in, a, in itself tells you that just by looking at my great-grandmother, we've already touched upon some aspects of the history of Europe. So over the course of the 19th century, the Siemens and the Liebenthal and the Zimmermans all, for one reason or another, migrated to Berlin, as many other people did, to join in a rich, sort of really vibrant, life in, in, in Berlin, which was the capital of the German Empire. Now, like most women at the, uh, of the time, Jeanette did not have the right to vote. So she had her child at home. She did not vote. But in 1918, so when, um, when, when Hedda turned 20, so actually in 1920s when she would have uh, voted for the first time, but in 1918, German women over the age of 20 were given the right to vote. So by 1933, the 1933 elections were the ones that, where Hitler was voted to be Chancellor of Germany. All Zimmerman girls would have had the right to vote in that election. And I like to think that they didn't vote for him. Now, by comparison, English women also got the right to vote in 19, but they had to be 30 years old to vote. So if my great-grandmother had been born in England, they wouldn't have voted until much, much later. And in France, women didn't get the vote until 1944. In Mexico, they didn't get the vote until 1958. The U.S. gave women the right to vote in 19, but they gave white women the right to vote. So it's not until the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that all Americans acquire the right to vote. So this is sort of an important thing to think about, that when we think about the right to vote and when we think about equality, when you think about the way in which those words were used at the beginning of the century, they may not mean the same thing then as we would take them to mean today. The summer Hedda was born was also the summer of the first modern Olympic Games outside of Athens. They were in Paris. And I don't really know whether anyone in the household of, um, of in that summer, you know, right, right before my, my great-grandmother was born and right after, because the Games started on May 14th and ended on October 8th. So, you know, we get barely get two weeks of Olympic Games today. They got, what, four months, five months? Um, there was no way for them to find out what was going on. They would get the news via newspapers. It was a significant delay. There was no radio. I mean, they weren't telegraphing results. So um, the experience of these first modern Olympic Games outside of Athens would have been really quite different at that time. Um, by the way, Germany placed seventh in number of medals. France placed first. They were the host country. It's that, not that that's necessary. Um, and the U.S. placed second in terms of medals. So not entirely unlike what's going on still today. Just as Hedda was learning to sit up by herself, hopefully, I assume, somewhere in early 1901, oil was discovered in Texas. And so began a pretty important chapter in U.S. history and probably in world history. And it really affected the rest of the world because in the, in the immediate aftermath of the Texas oil discovery, mass production of cars started in the United States because once you've got the fuel, you can build more cars because there's no point in building a lot of cars and nobody can fuel them. And soon... If you imagine the scene, 
of the house on Victoria Luisa Platz where Hedda was born with the windows open to a beautiful square where horse hooves can be heard and chariots are passing by and people are walking slowly. That was replaced by transmission engines and the sound of blaring horns. This is not the only thing that changed over the course of those 10 years when my great-grandmother was born. She was also born at a time when large empires were teetering on the edge of their existence. The Russian Empire, the British Empire, the Ottoman and the Austro-Hungarian empires all were European strongholds of monarchical power. Even in Germany, where Hedda was born, there's a Kaiser who had extremely, by that time, by 1900, some pretty strong designs of territorial power. All that's going to change very soon. In the second decade of the 20th century, most of those monarchies disappear. The British Empire is the one that, pretty much the only one that survives. All other countries will have their territory radically reorganized and their political structures will be destroyed and replaced by something resembling democracies. But um, there's more on that on your materials for this week. There's a great Khan Academy video that does a really good job of explaining a very complicated European situation before the World War. So I recommend you go take a look at that. You can go take a look at pictures of Hedda. I'll be talking about her more and, um, and start on your first assignment. All right. Great talking with you. I hope to see you soon. Bye.